Hello and welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. I am here with my co-host today, Chantel. Chantel, how are you? I'm all right, girl. I'm all right. Yeah, okay. It's summer holidays. Do you want to share? Or you just you just okay? What, that it's summer holidays and that's never a real holiday for mum's life? Okay, okay. Imagine when work is actually a haven. Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't relate I can't relate you know I think this is you know I know you going to the caravan is meant to be a break but I feel like it brings out this slightly frustrated um side of you that's just like my my outward experience of you when you're doing caravan life in the cold and the rain rain in my the- anorak you know in your, <laughs> in your anorak inside the caravan as we record but anyway um I just want to thank the listeners so, so, so much for joining us today. Um, as usual, please engage with us on Instagram, Twitter. Chantel, can you do the handle for me, please? Girl, I was trying to sip a drink. Yes. So for those of you, <laughs> for those of you who are new to us, you can find us on the socials using the at BWW Podcast UK on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us via our website. That's the three W's, blackwomenworking.com, LinkedIn, Black Women Working. And of course, for the more personal touch, we love to hear from you. Um, I want to hear what people are saying about divine femininity <laughs> and know thyself. I listened back to um our last two weeks of episodes and I'd really love to hear from listeners so please email us at blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com socials done thank you thank you and we would like to welcome our very very special guest today is Dr Joy Harden Bradford the creator the host of the podcast therapy for black girls and also the author of the amazing sisterhood heals a book on transformation and healing of community specifically and intentionally written for black women which is out now and available to get from all online bookstores so dr joy thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me it's an honor yeah well it's an honor for us because in case the listeners don't know um therapy for black girls is a phenomenal phenomenal podcast um it's a creation that i am so i would say so privileged to experience and it's not just me it's had over 26 million downloads and therapy for black girls is also an online space where you can go and get um therapist recommendations there are blogs there are more information just everything centered around kind of supporting and helping i would say black people access healing through therapy also been featured on oprah magazine forbes teen vogue huffington post and now featured on the black women working podcast what a lovely list to be added to for our podcast so before we go into the book a fun fact is that when we started this podcast i was actually actively trying to search for other podcasts for black women and therapy for Black Girls was the number one recommended um, podcast that came up in all my Google searches that came up when I searched Apple Podcasts. And it was the very first podcast that I personally subscribed and listened to on Apple Podcasts. So it's a real full circle moment to have you here. 
Um, so yeah, I just want to welcome you and thank you so much for, for being here. Again, sorry, I'm I'm kind of blushing, guys, because I'm very, very excited about this moment. So just bear with me. It is such an honor. I'm so excited to chat with you both. Okay, cool. So um, let's get into it. So just for those who, who don't know um, about your platform, obviously you created such an amazing podcast, but what was the motivation behind using a podcast as a way to communicate with Black women? Mm-hmm. So I started the podcast after I fell in love listening to podcasts. So yours was Therapy for Black Girls. Mine was The Read. Um, I'm not sure if either of you are, are fans of The Read. We love um, The Read. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So much fun. Like it just felt like you, you know, I had a 45 minute commute to my job before therapy for black girls was my full time job. And so I would just listen to the read and I found them kind of later. So I had a back catalog to go through. So it just like they were in the car with me. Like it just felt like such a fun way to tackle a topic or, you know, just have conversations about things people were interested in. And so I was already blogging on the Therapy for Black Girls website. But once I found podcasts, I was like, oh my gosh, this seems like a really cool way to be able to bring this conversation to even more people. Um, And thankfully, my husband has a background in radio production. So I knew I had an in-home producer. I was like, just try this. Like, you know, it it probably won't be that big of a deal to just try it. Um, And here we are millions of downloads later in it really just kind of took off because I think, you know, it, it came out at a time where there weren't a lot of mental health conversations. And so I really feel like the community was just anxiously awaiting something like it. Yeah. And very appreciative if I do say so myself. So obviously you've written this amazing book, um, which we have read. And thank you so much to Murky Publishing for a copy. But how did the idea for Sisterhood Hills kind of come around? So, you know, Sisterhood Heals actually was supposed to be an in-person event. Um, and then we had a pandemic. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So the Therapy for Black Girls community has been asking for like an in-person event. Like they want to get together and meet the people they know in the comment section and the other people who listen to the podcast. And so we were finally going to do our first in-person event. It was scheduled to be March of 2020. And then, like I said, we had a pandemic, right? Um, and so in, in conversations with my literary agent, she, she asked me like, well, what were you planning to talk about that weekend? Like, what kinds of topics did you want to discuss? And that really kind of became the outline for the book. Um, and when I think about like the work we do at Therapy for Black Girls, so much of it feels like it is surrounded and centered on sisterhood. Um, so it's not just like a one-on-one relationship that like the listeners and the audience have with me. It's also about the the relationship that we have with one another. And so it, it really feels like for the first book that I was going to write, even if there are others, this first book felt like it had to be about sisterhood and really a celebration of the relationships Black women have with one another. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's really nice to read the book with not just an end for yourself, but I feel like it was an end for all of us as a collective of Black women that read the book just to understand that we can actually we can actually heal together. It doesn't have to be like a personal individual journey. Like we can can do both. So just getting into kind of the book. Um, first things first is there's a strong theme of healing in community um, and healing in relationships. Why do you think healing in community as a concept is so important for us as Black women? 
So I think it is important to think about like healing in community because there's no experience or emotion that any of us have that we are the only ones that have had it, right? But a lot of times when we are going through something, we are so embarrassed. We're so ashamed about this like thing that we're holding. And it is only when we share it with other people that we realize we're never alone with any of that. And so even though I may not know what grief is related to like the loss of a parent, I do understand what grief is and I have had grief experiences. And so when we are able to come together in community, we realize that we're not alone with anything and that there are people around who understand our experiences and who want to help us kind of carry the weight of what we've been through. Yeah, exactly. So then I find, um, I was discussing this with Chantel when we were talking about the book, that the way we've kind of been raised as Black people is to be very secretive. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of raised Mm -hmm. in an environment like you don't tell your business you don't talk about this, you don't talk about that. Um, But then, like you said, we need to share experiences with each other to realise that we're not alone. So how does that kind of show up for you when you're doing like group therapy sessions or even during writing the book, considering that a lot of Black women that are going to pick up the book are still raised to not express their feelings or their struggles and they kind of need to keep it together? Hmm. Yeah, you know, so I start each chapter with like a little vignette that's kind of like a composite of either like a, a client experience or just, you know, uh, conversations I've had with women in the in the TBG community. And I really feel like it is helpful for people to realize like, oh, this thing that this person struggled with is something that I've also struggled with. Right. Like, I think it helps mm-hmm. to ground it in a little bit of a story. Um, and so I really want people to be able to see themselves in the the examples and the things that I share in the book and to do like you just talked about, right? Like to see something in the book and then go to your group chat and say, hey, like, is this something that you've experienced? Or let's talk about how we've been raised to feel like we always have to be strong. Like I really want it to be a book that sparks action and conversation. Yeah. Also, I'm really excited to hear that that's exactly what's what's happening. Yeah. And to to speak to that question and that point. Um, it was really useful to read. So you, you, you know, you said that the beginning starts with perhaps a story from someone who shared in your experience working with them, but the back end has some real practical, like even how to approach certain conversations with friends and loved ones. So for those of you who haven't read the book, it is very, very practical in in actually. How do we go away and then capture and deal with the issues that we're facing with our loved ones or or, or the people that we're working with or whoever's relevant in the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt important to include I love like that. Active, active strategies. And like, you know, I think people enjoy that kind of thing. Like, OK, well, what did I learn from this? And like, how do I use it in my life? So I appreciate that. I think the things that I love the most, yeah. I don't too much about the book because everyone needs to go and buy it, is that you would have certain scenario, scenarios where things in your friendship group may have changed and how you can like address your concerns and address that conversation with that friend. And I feel like on that basis, like this is always going to be a book that I come back to because if I'm feeling a certain way about something, there's like clear language in there that I can express it in hopefully a safe way that maintains like relationships that are critical to me, especially where people don't want to talk about things, they don't want to rock the boat, or they they don't know how to express themselves. But I think one of the reasons that we started this podcast is because we also wanted to share experiences that Black women were having at work and to create, um, I don't think we called it that at the time, but like a safe space where people could come 
and talk about what they were experiencing again realizing it's not just them and um I think one thing that really struck me was the bell hooks quote basically about how important it is to create safe spaces where our human dignity like isn't questioned but one thing I wanted to just bring it back to work is how do you think it's possible for black women who are in a minority in a professional environment to do just just that to create safe spaces with each other where their position is not they're all struggling so how do we do it in that environment Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think by being safe people to talk to, right? Like if we know that there are only a few of us in a workspace, um, we don't want to like disrupt the safety that can happen in the community of us by like gossiping about one another or not... <laughs> Not sharing opportunities, um, not prepping new sisters who enter into the community to let them know, like, okay, be careful about this person or here are the things you need to kind of look out for. Like, I think we just have to be far more intentional, especially when we are in the minority, about being safe people for one another. Um, And that is not to, to say that, like, mistakes won't happen, right? Like, we're human. And so sometimes ego is involved. Sometimes, you know, our own stuff gets activated. But it really is about, like, can we, in for the most part, act in the best interest of the group? And then if something does happen, if there is a conflict or a rupture, can we go back to one another and say, ouch, that hurt or my bad, I messed up and here's how I want to do better next time. Like, I think it really is about, you know, fostering a sense of community where we are accountable to one another and wanting to see the entire group move forward. I think that's, I think that's amazing. And that's kind of spot on. I think one of the examples that you gave in the book don't worry guys I'm not giving away the book there's still hundreds of pages that you need to read and you do need to buy this book don't worry we're going to be banging on about where to get it when to buy it and how to buy it but um it was a really interesting example you gave about the work conference and to being two black women in the work conference I've had that situation where I'm in like a business conference work conference and there's me and there's another black girl across the room and trying to know whether to to reach out, to talk to her. And I, I realised through reading the book that it's kind of like an unspoken understanding that there's so many negative tropes about other Black women that that is sometimes what can hold us back from, you know, even in that small conference, creating a safe space with someone, you, a Black woman you might not know. But how do we undo that work in terms yeah. of stereotypes and things like that? Yeah, I think it has to start with us kind of making some of those unconscious thoughts more conscious, right? So even in that example of the book where I'm saying like, okay, imagine yourself at a conference and like you notice that there's one other Black girl there. Like, what is your immediate impulse? Like, I know for myself that my immediate impulse is going to be try to sit next to her. But if that is not your immediate impulse, why not? And not that there is like anything better or worse or like right or wrong. There isn't necessarily a right or wrong. It is more about like examining why you are making the decisions you're making. Um, You know, so even though your impulse might be to go and try to sit next to her, her impulse might be to get up and walk away because she is not interested in you sitting next to her. And to really think about how much of society, like how much of history, how much our own relationships with our mothers and grandmothers and aunties, like how all of that is actually at play in that interaction. And so some of what you're thinking about is what are, what are your previous experiences with Black women? So I'm not somebody who has had like many experiences of like being rejected by other Black women or being bullied or tormented. And so I am less um, concerned about walking up to somebody because I don't have a history that has told me that this is not safe. 
But if you do have that history, you might be a little more reluctant, right? Um, and so I really want us to kind of think about like some of these unconscious things that are at play when we encounter other Black women kind of just in our day-to-day our -day lives and to think about how many systems are really invested in us not having strong relationships with one another, right? And how we we know the power that comes when we are kind of on one accord, when we are really kind of moving in lockstep. Um, and so to think about why people don't want us to be in that way um, and, and how can we take steps to, you know, either uh, repair any damage or wounds that have been that we've had for maybe early childhood experiences, or if we have been the person who has perpetrated some bullying or something around other Black women, to really make sure we're doing our own work so that we are changing that behavior. Do you know what I also loved? I also loved the reality of it. Like, with all of that said, and all of that is true, you you also spoke about several times in the book about just being happy to let go. Like, don't fight the resistance. And sometimes actually, and and we say this a lot on the pod, not all skin folk is kin is kinfolk. And <laughs> and you know, not beating ourselves up. Yes, there is internal work to do. Yes, there is reflection to think what part did I play? Do I play? What will I play? But also handing the ownership back sometimes whether it's to the systems or to fellow sisters and saying maybe I'm not for you maybe you're not for me and also that's okay and I loved that I loved that in the book that you were just not forcing the narrative that sisterhood is a must I mean it is a must but if it's not working we don't have to force square pegs into circle holes honestly mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's really important. I mean, you know, because like you said, like sisterhood is really important. The book is all about sisterhood. So clearly that is something I really value and believe in. But if it's not something that you believe and value in, like that's okay. But it's it's important for us to know like where people stand, right? You know, so we do know that if we want to move as a collective, then that's great if you want to be a part of it. But I think we will sometimes exhaust ourselves or like spend a lot of time trying to convert people for them to, for this to be a value for them when it really may not be, right? And it's okay to like let people opt out and like love them from a distance. You know, you don't have to wish any ill on somebody, but if this is not a value for you, it's okay to know that and to then move accordingly. I can't opt out. I'm not there yet, girls. I can't, like, I just can't. I just can't. I just, I just, I just, if I see like a black woman in a professional environment and she's she's standoffish, I'm just like, doesn't she know what she's missing out on? You know? So I'm very much like when I read that, I was like, this is absolutely right, but I'm absolutely not gonna do it. It's <laughs> not at that space. Like I'm always trying to bring black women together period. And I just accept that, you know, some people take a, they have a longer um, connection or conversion period. You keep, sometimes people, you convert on the same day. I remember law school, one of my best friends now, I walked in, I saw her and I could have gone to the row on the left and I went and sat right next to her and I was like, hi, I'm Natalie. And we're best friends like 14 years later. And like there were other girls that were standoffish and I was like, I'm going to make you guys my friend. And we all became a little law school black girl crew. And we're still, well, I'm close with everyone separately, but you know, I just feel like I just want to just create that option for black women. But you're right. I have to accept that people, I don't, people don't want to be my friend. I just don't get it. But anyway, 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 <laughs> anyway.
<laughs> right, Nats. We love you. Sorry. But I think there's there's one thing that um I that you mentioned in the book as well, something that I've struggled with. And I think a lot of black women do struggle with the kind of concept of there can only be one. Mm. And I know you've made points before about, you know, think about why people don't want us to unite. But how can we, like, we kind of know where that comes from. But if you have that in your head as your backstop, like, what can you do to get out of that mind mindset? So I think a large part of it is exposing yourself to more Black women, right? Because I think if you have this idea that, like, women are only this way, you probably do not have close relationships with a lot of Black women. And so I think allowing yourself the opportunity to get to know more Black women, to give yourself more evidence that this this thought that you're believing is not actually based in any truth, right? Because there's no way you have a large, like, in um, or large sample size and you realize, like, oh, there are people, I mean, I, I have not experienced anybody to be more supportive than, like, strange Black women, stranger Black women on online, right? Like, there are people who don't even know you who are rooting for you. And so, in my experience, if you have a, if you give it enough time and have a large enough sample size, you will find that Black women are overwhelm, overwhelmingly supportive. Um, so I would, would, one, encourage you to just kind of get to know more people, but also to examine where that thought came from. And again, like think about why there are so many systems invested in us believing that only one of us can be successful. Um, and I would also encourage you to like push yourself to see if that's really true. So if you create space for, you know, somebody else to work in your office or if you mentor, you know, a younger Black woman in your organization, does that change your mind? Because I do think we have a responsibility when we find ourselves in these situations to hold the door open behind us. You know, I don't think it's enough to kind of find yourself as the only one and be super proud of that. Now, again, we've already talked about, you know, all skin folk and kin folk. And so, yeah, some people will believe that, but I think for the people who are open to, to doing something different, right, to actually embracing community and sisterhood, it is important to make sure that we are holding the door open for as many people as possible behind us. Mm, couldn't agree. Could not agree more. I have a question. Um, you speak about unlearning and quite often in the book you reference our elders and you know whether it's as young women we hear our aunties and our mothers speaking we don't really know what they're speaking about but for our listeners like what is the process of unlearning certain behaviors I want to come back to the the only one at the top the workplace but it's only because you mentioned unlearning it it pinged this memory of the book in my mind like how easy is it or what is the process or some of the processes that black women should go through when we're thinking about actually are these behaviors my own or are they inherited from the generations before us? Mm -hmm. You know, so in some ways it isn't as important to figure out like where it came from as it is to like figure out how to undo it. And I think for a lot of us, you know, if we think about like, OK, why do I believe whatever it is I believe about a certain group of people? For a lot of us, it will come from early childhood stuff. So it will come from parents, caregivers, siblings. Um, but it also comes from other places, right? Like what, what we watch on TV, what we hear through media, like it comes from lots of different places. Um, and when we think about like this idea of unlearning, I do think we have to start by thinking about like, okay, what, what um, purpose did this serve historically, right? So I don't know if this is, is language that y'all use, but do you, do y'all, were you raised with this idea of like girls being fast? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, what would they say? 
like it's, we just say too fast fast like not with the t just fast fast okay too loose yeah loose girls bring the problems home yes okay so whatever the languages you use um in wherever you are in the world like most of us have grown up with this idea that like there are things that we do as young girls that like attract male attention or really this idea that we have control over like how people respond to us now we know of course that that is not true but lots of us were raised with those kinds of ideas and so even in the book I talk about like my own ideas and like having to unlearn my own um thoughts around like fast girls right and like what did I perceive about fast girls um, and how that really like led me to one of my closest friendships. And so I think we do have a responsibility to think through, like there are some things that we heard from parents and grandparents that may have been useful at that time, but does it still serve a purpose for us now or is it actually doing us more harm? And in a lot of cases, it is more harmful now. Like those things that may have been necessary for survival, then we have, we know now that they're actually not connected to survival at all, or they're actually causing more harm in our community and in our relationships with one another. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes on to like another point we wanted to discuss about respectable respectability, um, especially at work. And it's the I and I I've kind of seen it before, like you'll have a, a young black intern or a black another black woman at work will join. And then if you don't like the way that she reacts to something or you don't like the way that she's speak there might be nothing wrong inherently with how she is but she might be you know a little bit too black or a little bit too real for you at work and and how those interactions can make you feel a certain way about yourself I mean like how can we always prioritize sisterhood because I feel like in that type of environment there's very much a big focus individually on survival and so the idea that someone comes in and they're you know too hood or too real, the first thing you worry about internally, you shouldn't have this thought process, is that it's going to impact how people see and think about you. So how do we extend grace and sisterhood in those type of circumstances? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I, I do think it's important to think about like, you know, is that our issue or is that other people's issue, right? You know, because because the truth is that people who are determined to see you in whatever kind of way, like are going to see you that way, regardless of what you do or say, which is why respectability politics is often so damaging and not actually effective because people are determined to see us in whatever way they've decided, like this is what Black women are, right? Mm -hmm. And so setting yourself up to be the exception really is not um, like a good exercise because you can't win that game. Um, But I do think that there are, there is some level of kind of like mentoring and like helping young people understand like work protocol and like, you know, like, okay, these are like professionalism and all of those. Now I know there's a conversation around like professionalism being steeped in white supremacy and all of those things. But I do think that there is like a code of, of like, just how are we carrying ourselves that you do want to make sure that younger sisters understand, right? You know, even if it is just like, okay, let me help you understand like how you might be seen and, you know, just kind of put you up on game. Like this is kind of how things are done here. Um, Now you can still make your own decisions and it doesn't mean that you're like a bad black person or whatever. But I do think, you know, when you're a young person and you don't know, like, this is your first job. Like, how do you know, like how you're supposed to answer a phone or how you interact with people from the C-suite? Like that does take some level of mentor 
mentoring. Um, and so I do think that that is also a responsibility we have as, you know, older, more senior Black women in the workspace. But that doesn't, to me, have to be a respectability politics kind of thing. That, to me, is more of a professional mentoring kind of guidance mm. kind of thing in a lot of ways. Because I remember it reminds me of the example about um, when Molly had a Black intern at her law firm from Insecure, love the references to Insecure. Well, how I miss Insecure, but you know what? That's a different, that's for a different episode. But um, <laughs> I, I remember, I think obviously because I'm a lawyer as well, it kind of hits closer to home, like seeing that whole interaction and kind of like her then trying to have the conversation with the intern and then the intern not necessarily taking it on board. Um, how do you... I know we talked about sisterhood, not forcing sisterhood, but how do you bounce back in that type of environment where you've reached out a hand and you just haven't had the reception that you you thought you would get? Mm -hmm. So you mean like you are the more senior person in the yeah. experience yeah. and yeah. the person is like not interested in hearing what you have to say? Yeah. <laughs> Kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I think that you, you know, like we've talked about, like you did what you could, you know, so you don't necessarily like want to force yourself into like being a mentor if this person is not accepting of mentorship. But I think you can still kind of be watchful for them. Like you can still, you know, try to put in a good word and, you know, you, you never know what kinds of seeds you may be planting that will bloom later. And so I think you can still kind of try to give guidance, you know, as you can and just hope that at some point they will try to pick up up on what you were trying to say, or they will be able to reflect on something that you've said and, you know, will take them and be an advantage for them in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I needed that. Sorry, that's <laughs> a personal question based on my own work experience. I won't, I won't make it too much um, mm -hmm. about me. And there's one thing I kind of wanted to, to ask. Obviously, we have um, listeners, Black women, at all different stages um, in the, in their careers, in their experience. And we're finding that as we grow, we're having to talk about more things in terms of grief, in terms of like loss, fertility, all those type of things that impact Black women. Um, and one thing I wanted to talk about was um, grief and work and how and how to, to deal with that. There's something I've, I haven't gone through a bereavement, but it's something I've been thinking about, like not that I'm wishing a, a recent death, but just how how as black women can we how do we grieve at work it's mm -hmm. a hard question to ask if you have yeah. yeah and you know i i feel like um like leave policies don't typically do oh, us yeah. any favors right you know mm -hmm. so you get what like five days if, it, if it's an immediate family member in like two days you know if it's a cousin like you know I, I really feel like those um kinds of things don't really do us any favors and so I think sometimes what happens when we are grieving is that we do need to take more time off mm -hmm. um so I'm not sure if you all have these kinds of laws but in the U.S. Um, you know, like you can get like extended leave if you, so we have something called the Family Medical Leave Act, where if you work with your physician or like a psychiatrist or a therapist, like they can basically fill out a form that gives you like more time off and basically yeah. saying like, Okay, yeah. So this person needs to be out of work for, you know, whatever time. And so I think taking as much time as you need mm -hmm. um, is really, really helpful a lot for grief. Now, it really depends on the person, though, because some people like to kind of work through grief, like they want to kind of stay busy and, you know, that kind of thing. But you can't outwork grief. 
Mm. Right. And so it is going to show up. And so I do typically encourage people to take the time they need, you know, especially on the front end to really kind of just sit with, you know, what it means to have this kind of a loss and how it impacts you um, with the understanding that there's no timeline. Right. So even if you took four weeks off, that doesn't mean you're going to be done grieving in four weeks. But sometimes the immediate aftermath is the most difficult. And so if you need to take an extended amount of time off to work with a therapist or your physician to try to get that extra time. But also to see if, if your HR department or your whoever's making the leave policies in your workplace will also be flexible, you know. So could it be that you don't necessarily need like extended time off, but do you need like a later come in time? Mm-hmm. Right. So as opposed to, you know, having to be there at nine in the morning, could you start your work day at 12 and then work a little extra? You know, so really thinking creatively around like how to support yourself when you're really struggling, I think is something to really be paying attention to. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because we find yeah. that. People don't want to take time off work. So I'm glad that you reiterated how important that was. Chantal? Yeah, I think this also speaks to like, um, to the sisters over systems. And when we're in a position of responsibility, like you or I, you know, we've climbed in our careers, like really speaking to what our needs are as Black women. So I worked for a place where, the grief policy or the funeral policy where you could only go for your parents or your children. And I was like, bro, do you understand that my aunties and my cousins live in my house? Or the fact that even like other celebration events, traditional weddings and white weddings, like we have to speak up for what we need um, in terms of what's reflective of our cultures when we can to support others. I appreciate you sharing that um, because I do think, you know, like when we find ourselves as entrepreneurs and like we're thinking about like, what is our own leave policy going to be? Like, are we replicating the systems that we've just learned in these other spaces? Or do we take the opportunity to be expansive and to reimagine what leave could look like? Um, You know, because for some of these same reasons that you have outlined, Chantal, you know, we know that extended family in the Black community is like, there is no sense of like, okay, first cousin, second cousin, like your aunt. Everybody. are like parents, right? And, you know, so, I mean, so it, it does really, um, you know, beg the question of like, how can we reimagine what lead policies and support look like in our workspaces? And then when we, when we have the opportunity to either create our own businesses or if we find ourselves in a position where we can kind of help shape policy in a workplace that we do keep all of these things in mind. Yeah, definitely. Because sometimes we, we just repeat the unhealthy structures that we've seen because we've been socialized to think, well, that's how you manage. That's how you invest in people. And that's what employees should do. Sometimes as I'm getting more senior, I'm checking my own behavior and be like, oh, that is a bit unhealthy. Where is that really from? Mm -hmm. Like, Is that thing really urgent? Or are you just trying to make someone sweat? If you're trying to make someone sweat, why? Why do you feel you need to do that? So there's, I think a big theme for, for the book and for us in this conversation is just active thought understanding and where necessary like unlearning however um we want people to buy the book so we're not going to talk too much more about the book because we can't give you all 200 pages like you definitely definitely need to read this book um I think it's amazing that we have a book written by a black woman a black woman therapist that focuses on helping us as a community heal so please 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 um 
support this book. It's available on Amazon, bookshop.org. If you want to buy from independent booksellers, it's going to be in Waterstones and all the good bookstores, Waterstones, Foils. I love books. I'm trying to think of other bookstones, but definitely in Waterstones. Um, so we just recommend that you buy the book, that you engage with it, that you engage with Dr. Joy on social media as well, and just really support this because we don't have that many books out there that are focused on us. And so when we do get them and they are as brilliant as Sisterhood Heals is, we should all definitely go out and support it. Um, Dr. Joyce, I want to thank you so much for joining our podcast today. It, it's just been so amazing to listen to you. There's so many gems that you shared with us. We're so grateful. Um, and I'm going to say it again, for those that don't listen to your podcast, please, 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 please listen to Therapy for Black Girls. You can do do like me and go all the way back to episode one, or you can start with today's episode, but it will definitely definitely leave you with some kind of life-changing practical gems and just help you kind of understand more of your own experiences so Shan I don't know if there's anything you want to add before you wrap up no I don't have anything to add apart from honestly this book is a must read it's it was so real Mm. it resonated in so many ways it was so practical so truthful to our lived experiences honestly I can't I don't even have the words. Just read the book. Seriously. <laughs> Message of the episode. Read the book. So, so, so I just wanted to ask, no pressure though. Like, are we going to get another book? Are we going to get an event in the UK? Or like, wh- come on. Because I know the book came out of the US and then it, you, you know, Murky Books have done amazing by signing you on to publish it in the UK. So, so can we get a... Can we get a book signing? Can we get an event? Can we get a live podcast in London? Like, what? What's the deal? (laughs) I'm very hopeful that I can get to the UK to do some kind of event because I love that, you know, so many people are finding the book and having these kinds of conversations. So definitely stay tuned um, to sisterheels.com. That is where you find all the information about upcoming events and anything else we have going on. Okay, great. And so with that in mind, I just want to thank you so much for joining us, making the time. Um, And to our listeners, remember, we always say, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend, like, subscribe and comment Um, your support through subscriptions, through likes, through comments, through shares. is just helping us grow our platform and get even more access to more Black women. I think it's like at least once a week we get an email from a Black woman saying she loves our podcast. Um, and she's so glad to know that the experiences that she's having are not unique to her and there's other people that are having those same shared experiences so every time you like subscribe comment you are just putting another black woman working in the UK on so Shan I don't know if you want to say bye thank you so much for having me (laughs) having having me are you okay (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much and thank you so much to our listeners and we're going to give them all information links to buy the book links to therapy black girls just just all information about you all your business not personal business like podcast business but um thank you again and thank you to the listeners and that's a wrap guys thank you bye